Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Hey, Steve. How are you doing, man? Really glad to be talking with you today for another episode of the Growth EQ Podcast. Doing great, Brad. You know, it's uh, winter break time. The weather has finally gotten cool and wonderful for running in Houston. This is the best time to be in Texas. So I am enjoying life. How's everything going with you? Things are going pretty well. Puppy is still a puppy, but we are making progress on ankle biting, um, which seems to be his favorite devious behavior. Also the one that is by far the most painful for humans. But then he gives you that sad puppy face and the one German shepherd ear goes up while the other one is still down. And all that you can do is go in for a kiss to have him bite your nose. Ah, the joys of new puppies. Ours is six years old, but in many ways, still a puppy. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive into our topic today. What are we going to talk about? So today we are talking about Taylor Swift. And the genesis of this is we've got to give credit to our good friend and mentor, Dr. Bob Kosher. So uh, for those of you that have been longtime fans in Red Peak Performance, you might find the name familiar. Dr. Bob is one of the examples that we gave for deep focus in single tasking. He is a physician, he served on the National Economic Council, and he's now a very successful venture capitalist out in Silicon Valley. And just a close friend to us and um, really a a wonderful, thoughtful, smart person in every way. Also a huge Taylor Swift fan. So last week, I get a text message from Dr. Bob saying, holy shit, have you listened to Evermore? I'm like, what's Evermore? He says, it's Taylor Swift's new album. I said, oh, he's like, it's the second one she's put out in a half a year. He's like, you and Steve need to do a podcast on this. This is genius. This is insane performance. He was so excited. So I started listening to Taylor Swift. And it's pretty freaking remarkable. I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but I do appreciate good music. And she has written two very, very solid albums um, since April this year. So we want to talk about Taylor Swift and hot streaks, because clearly um, this woman is on an incredible hot streak right now. Oh, man. Um, So where to go from there? First off, uh, my uh, younger athletes or my athletes I coach, my college athletes I coach are probably finally going to listen to a podcast because we're talking about Taylor Swift. So and my younger sister might actually listen to one of our podcasts. So we better make this good as we're going to engage new listeners from this topic, hopefully. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's start by giving context for the older listeners. So Taylor Swift, international superstar. If you haven't heard of her, then you got to come out of the basement more often. She began her career as what I would call a pop country singer. And then she shifted pretty hard to country. And these two albums that she released this year are very much in the pop category. And it's almost like she's gone from simplicity to complexity back to simplicity, but in a more beautiful way. Now, what makes these albums so remarkable 
is traditionally Taylor Swift would write an album about every two years. And during the pandemic, she got in this groove and wrote an album called Folklore, which wasn't supposed to come out until early 2021. And she released it in July. She started working on it in mid-April. So we did the math. She wrote one song every five and a half days. And another thing is, while she has songwriting partners, Taylor Swift has a hand in the writing of all her songs. So it's not just like people are putting scripts on her desk and she's singing them. She's actually doing the work of writing the music. So folklore, everyone's going crazy. They're like, oh my gosh, you started in April and now you've given us this beautiful album in July. How did you do it? Well, fast forward to two weeks ago and on December 11th, she wrote, or excuse me, she released another album called Evermore, which was 15 songs. So again, we did the math. That's a song about every nine days. So over the course of the last eight months, Taylor Swift has written a radio standard international superstar song about every six days. And we're not talking just doing this for a month or two. We're talking about a sustained effort. So this really is pretty remarkable in terms of um, productivity and not just work for the sake of work, but a lot of people are saying these might be her two best albums ever. Yeah, it's really the the combining of quantity and quality all into one at a very unfathomable uh, rate, which is, I, I think, worth unpacking um, and, and, and understanding like how the creative process works, how you get into these like kind of states of where you have this period of productivity. And it, if you zoom out, into the larger kind of, you know, world, you often see things like this where w- whether it's artists or athletes or entrepreneurs, they go through this period of time where they just get hot, right? And they produce some of their best work all in a compact period. I think it's even more glaring with Taylor Swift in the sense that it's coincided with the pandemic, which I think is worth unpacking too, which might get us into some, you know, concepts of like deliberate focus and motivation and filling that void, which uh, many of us have been experienced and, and how to do so in, in such crazy times. Yeah, I um, I do think it's worth touching on the fact that this has happened during the pandemic. And I think another thing, Steve, that I want to make sure that we explore is that Taylor Swift's been at this game for a long time. I want to say something like 14 years. I'd have to look back on Google to see when her first album came out. But this kind of hot streak didn't just come out of thin air, right? There's an enormous foundation of songwriting, of performing, of success, and of failure. And that is something that is um, almost ubiquitous across these hot streaks, is that they tend to come mid-career. Yeah, and we're going to jump around a lot on this podcast, I have a feeling, because there's so many different avenues that we can go down. But it's interesting, too, if you look at her career arc before we branch out and give kind of the generalities of how this applies to others. But you, you mentioned at the start, like she has almost transformed her ident- her musical identity, we'll call it, several times, like from pop country to straight country to very much a pop artist, from moving from songs that largely were 
what we'll call diaristic, which means that they, they were about what she was going through and some of the relationships to more broad appealing songs that aren't aren't so focused on, you know, the individual struggles she's going through. Um, so it's interesting to watch that it's not only like, hey, someone found what they're good at and went in that area over and over again. She's essentially jumped genres, jumped, you know, if, I, if I'm sitting here thinking of it as a writer's hat, it's almost like going from, you know, fiction to nonfiction to like sports books to, you know, hardcore business books and in and like transcending and finding success and quality in each area. Yeah, I don't know if it's fiction to nonfiction, but I think it's like me really hard science packed books to books that include more philosophy and stories. Um and because like there's still an essential Taylor Swiftness to all of her work. And I think that that's another really neat thing about it is these two albums feel very similar to her first albums. Steve and I have been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift this past week to get ready for this. Um, but like more simple and elegant. Um, so that's another thing to unpack, right? Like on the journey of mastery, and I already mentioned this, we talk about how you start with simplicity, but you don't really know what you're doing. Then things get really complex because you're learning, you're figuring out structure, you're paying very close attention to everything. And then you come back to simplicity, where again, you're just kind of going by feel, but everything does make sense. So pandemic productivity, the journey of mastery, and um, there was one other thing. What else were we going to hit on, Steve, here? I do not remember. Okay, let's start with those two. So pandemic productivity. I want to start by saying that apparently after this album came out, there was the usual uproar on social media because people have nothing better to do than use their time complaining that they don't have any time on social media of people saying, woohoo, Taylor Swift. She only wrote these songs because she has all this help. And that's the only reason that she can be so productive. And how dare you make me feel bad that I haven't written two albums. And... All that's true, but there's no need to bitch about it because the bottom line is this. Taylor Swift does have a lot of help. She does have financial security for sure. And yet, she's still in a freaking pandemic. She still can't see her family and friends. So like, I get the bitching, but save it for like another time. It doesn't really apply to me because someone can still do something great even if they have a different situation than you. So to the people that like got mad that Taylor Swift did this, they've got some stuff going on and they need some help figuring that stuff out. <laughs> Way to set the stage, Brad. Way to set the stage. Um, well, seriously, I mean, it's a little aside, but like my first thought is like, how about like, this is incredible, good job, not like Taylor Swift is so privileged that she could write these two albums. I mean, she is, but the, like how... Anyways, people are just angry about a lot of things right now. So I guess a more... Um, responsible way and mature way to say that is we are acknowledging that Taylor Swift has a whole different life than everyone listening to this, than me and Steve, that allows her probably um, not to have the same worries that we have. And yet, she still has her own worries. The pandemic has still been hard on her, and she still did this during the pandemic. Yes. I, I mean, I think it's it's like understanding and appreciating that we all have different struggles, even the be even the ones who seem very fortunate um, and have different spaces. But you know, that's the thing about a pandemic is it has impacted all of us to a different degree. So I think 
I, you know, let's start there. I think we talked about, um, you know, these different items. And I think doing this in a pandemic is interesting because I think it, it, it's, you go through the struggle part to degree, but I think there's also this, she had more time and space to, to attack some of these things because the normal cycle of a musician is put out an album and then go on a tour, right? And that tour is where you kind of make a lot, uh, where a lot of musicians make their money and they travel a lot and the creative process goes by the wayside. It's very similar to the book writing world of you write a book, you do go through the creative process and then you go around, you shift into marketing pitching mode. Um, and that's, that's typically how things go, whether you're looking at athletic performance, creativity, um, making a product, etc. But the pandemic kind of constrained that in the sense that there's no tour after, after coming up with a, um, you know, a, an album. And it's interesting because she essentially did what we talk about a lot, which is once the thing is done, you you go back to work, right? You go back to kind of the foundation that, that got you there. And, and that work sometimes, as I said, is or is normally going on a tour. But in this sense, you can't do that. So what does she do? She goes back and creates another album, which I think is something that wouldn't occur unless we were under these specific circumstances, which constrained, you know, the normal process. Mm-hmm. And it's also an interesting thing to note that in our own writing process, Steve, you and I have experienced something that is conceptually similar, certainly not on the same scale of genius or stardom as Taylor Swift. But after we wrote The Passion Paradox, excuse me, after we wrote Peak Performance, we had this gap before the book would come out and even before we had to get into edits because our editor was really behind on editing books and we were in this flow of writing and we suddenly had this open space. So we decided that we were just going to keep writing and we basically wrote the entire Passion Paradox before Peak Performance even came out. And it would have been impossible to write a book the three months after Peak Performance came out because we were so busy doing media spots and events and and whatnot and speaking around peak performance. So again, I'm not at all comparing us to Taylor Swift, but I'm saying that I can very much appreciate having that open space when you're in a creative groove or a productive groove, I should say, to just keep going. And I think there's a lesson here that is broadly applicable beyond just creative work, which is sometimes I think that we get into these patterns of like do the hard work and then market it. Do the hard work and then market it. And even in the corporate world, it's like do the report and then have multiple meetings and try to influence people on it. And I wonder if we shouldn't be rethinking having like a little bit more of a buffer time before you go on the road show because if you're in the groove, you don't necessarily want to leave that groove. Well, it, it comes back to the classic um, idea of flow, right? Where uh, Mahali check sent me high, you get in flow, you get in that zone, you get in that groove where you're just in that creative space and you're clicking things off. Um, a lot of times we spend a lot of effort or at least in the, the 
you know, performance world of like, oh, how do we get into flow? How do we get into flow? But it's more interesting on like flow is very hard to get into. And it's contrary to kind of popular uh, ideas. It's um, you can't just engineer it to a large degree, especially when it's performance related uh, because stress, anxiety, et cetera, or the need to get something done like tends to put you make it more difficult or you are a normal person and you have a kid to put to sleep or a partner that's upset with you or a cat vomiting upstairs right so but i think you know if we zoom out and we say instead of like this individual distinct moments of flow that are you know brief and flighting you can almost look at um, a several month long a uh, you know a spot in your career where you're just clicking it off and I think what the research and science shows is that a lot of times it's when you're in that period of, we'll call it flow, it's how do you stay in it, which is the most important thing is you're just prolonging it, right? And there's a lot of good research data on like, and a lot of good interview data in the research on like, once people find that groove, it's, it's, it becomes about, okay, how do we prevent myself from getting in my way of knocking myself out of that? And in the sports world, a lot of that is like how to prevent yourself from divert or diverting back to thinking too much. Um, because that's the tendency once you start to have success, once you start to see things go well, is to almost like zoom out and start to analyze and think about it and be like, oh, this is great. Um, and that'll take you out of this kind of flow zone. So I think it's interesting when we talk about normally we deliberately take us out of this like creative flow type period because it's just the normal process. You create, then you market, push, sell, tour, et cetera. And you have almost these deliberate periods. Well, why not ride the wave for as long as the wave's going to be there? And on a daily basis, this is about something I definitely talk about with my executive and entrepreneur coaching clients is having the confidence to cancel a meeting because you're in a groove. And this doesn't mean that you can tell yourself you're in a groove when you're not simply because you don't want to go to a meeting. But if people are honest with themselves. They know when everything is clicking and they're doing great creative work. And if you started that at 9am and you've got a meeting at 11am, but this is the day you're just going, cancel the 11am meeting um, because you don't get those moments too often. Certainly something I do with my writing, I'd say it's about the only time I ever will skip a workout or like social plans with a friend. I really try to prioritize community. But it only happens a few times a year, so it's not that big of a deal. But when I get myself in a good writing groove, that's what I'm doing the rest of the day. I mean, unless there's a medical emergency, I'm not leaving the computer. <laughs> that is a true statement. I've uh, witnessed that. Um, but I, I think you can also kind of zoom out on a career level as well and see that, again, you can see this as an individual or zoomed out, let's say, season or period, is that. I don't know about you, Brad, but there are there are certain periods where I'm in like a writing mood and certain periods where I'm in like this research groove or certain periods where I know, hey, I need to step away for a while because I'm not being productive both in terms of quantity or quality. Yeah, we call those the social media and watching the crown grooves. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right. It's true. But, you, you know, I think it, it gets to that original notion that we talked about in peak performance, which is very simple and very popular, which is like stress plus rest equals growth. And on the zoomed out level, sometimes those periods of stress, we'll call it, of where you're just hammering away and creative and all that stuff can go on for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. And I think that something to touch on there that, you know, if, if anyone that has a direct line to Taylor Swift is listening, please, please, please make her aware of this. Coming out of these periods can be really interesting and challenging. Um, that's because you're in this zone where everything's clicking, you're doing your best work, you're in flow, you're in a rhythm. And then when it's time to come out of it, normal life can seem really dull and unexciting and almost like sad, a depressive kind of feel to it. And that's totally normal. And I think A, knowing that that's normal is helpful. And then B, really doing what you can to surround yourself with community, with good books, with good leisure is so helpful. Is almost like a, a medium wayhouse, a transition step out of these flow grooves. Because the worst thing that you can do is be in an intense, elongated period of being in the zone and then get out of the zone and just kind of like have open board space. So a big, big, big thing that so many people overlook isn't just how to get into the zone and what you do when you're in the zone, but also how you transition out of these super productive feel, uh, periods because there's a big risk for like depressive feelings when, when those transitions happen. Yeah, you're shifting the motivation quality behind it. You know, it's, it's easy to stay focused, stay engaged, stay motivated when you have, you're in these kind of periods of high creativity. And then you shift out of that and your mood and action follow. You see this a lot when athletes, for example, go from uh, preparing for the big game or the big meet or big competition. Um, They get to that point. It's over, done with. They shift out. They think like, oh, finally I get a break. And then a week into their break, they almost feel it's almost like you get this sensation of of almost depressive like feelings and sensations because your body is used your body and mind are used to doing the work used to having some sort of goal um some sort of thing that is motivating and driving you towards and having this almost like period of unease where you're now out of that goal driven um, creative period or working period, it can leave you in a little bit of a funk. So it's it's acknowledging that and then setting yourself up uh, so that you're okay. I think you know it's our good friend Shalane Flanagan who once who I think commented on this. On this. Yeah. yeah, and she said that it, essentially she she shifts her focus to something else. In the sense that she's all in on running and then she has that break after the marathon and she's like, I am all in on my family, which you might sit there and be like, well, she's always all in. So there's no rest, but it is a rest in the sense that like she's shifting that that energy somewhere else to give herself a break in this one area of life. And she still experienced depression. I mean, that's what she told us on this podcast. Um she was aware that it could happen. So presumably that helped mitigate the, the intensity of it. But particularly coming out of her career, which is like a, a huge transition from a period of flow and doing the work to not, 
she 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 was in a hole for a little while. So it, it's something that happens even when you have the best plans and the best intentions. I also think it's interesting. It's certainly not just sports. This this in many ways explains the serial entrepreneur or the person that can't stay at a company for more than a year and a half because then they get bored. Because the first year of starting a company is an all-hands-on-deck flow state. And then once the staff grows, once you have a little bit more financial runway, the whole goal is to get out of that all-hands-on-deck state and to have operations that can increasingly take care of themselves. But that's not nearly as intense. So a serial entrepreneur can't do that. So they jump from company to company. Yeah, it's it's almost like that that inner battle between like striving and contentment. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, yeah, you, you know, and I think I think it's like balancing that out, um, and balancing that out in terms of like having. It's like to me, I see it as like having different areas where you're might still be quote unquote striving, but in in different avenues. So for that serial entrepreneur, like they've got to figure out a way to how to you know be content in what they do, and then find other ways for working towards that mastery that might not be you know as um, we'll we'll call it externally driven. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a pivot here, because I did think of the third thing that I wanted to talk about. So we're going a little bit out of order. Let's come back to the simplicity, complexity, simplicity, and mastery. I wanted to talk about Taylor Swift's not breakthrough breakthrough. So a lot of people are saying that this is a breakthrough. And I just Googled Taylor Swift's first album, and it is called Taylor Swift. So it's in her name, the... What is it? The Big Machine Radio Release Special, 2006. So Taylor Swift's been at this game for 14 years. So unless a breakthrough is 14 years in the making, then these two albums aren't a breakthrough. They are a streak that's on a foundation of a lot of work. And I think that that's something that also gets overlooked during these um, these public notable figures that have these great streaks is they're often attributed to being these enormous breakthroughs when in fact they're actually the result of a lot of patience. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you look at progress because <laughs> I think that's, we have these notions on ideas of progress in terms of our careers and creativity and performance. And we think that like we're on the cusp of, of a breakthrough. And I think that when you look at progress, there's there's multiple different avenues to get to said point. And I think sometimes we have people who are on the long, steady, um, you know, increase or plateau. Sometimes we have people who go through like a jagged um, view to get there. Sometimes we have people who look like they just kind of got that instant breakthrough. But what people didn't see was the five, six, seven, eight years of like gaining knowledge, expertise, you know, tinkering with their things until they were ready to get to that next spot. And I think uh, one of the problems we see in the kind of success self-help world is that we're looking back and, and kind of um, evaluating progress on a, you know, zoomed out level where it all seems to make sense and we can create and craft a story around it. Yeah, there's... um. There's a section in the the book that I'm hoping to not I'm hoping I, I can say now I will put out next year 
on the importance of patience and progress. And the analogy that I use is if you want to break a big stone, it often takes many pounds to break. And even though you don't see the results of those first 100 pounds, you're creating, you're building tension in the stone. So it looks like the stone broke on the 101st pound, but it would never have happened without the other 100 pounds. And we like to think of progress as each pound, you're going to see a little crack. And for some endeavors, that's true. But for a lot of endeavors, you're pounding the stone and you see nothing until it finally breaks. And that doesn't mean that the prior pounds didn't count. It just means that there's no observable progress. Yeah, that's a good analogy. And I think, you know, I I think it comes back to the nuance of it, too, is, you know, is that some would be like, well, Taylor Swift, like, was an instant phenom because she was doing great work having albums in her in her teens essentially so it, it it's like when i look at this we have so many different paths to quote unquote success that i think we do ourselves a disservice when we say this is the way or this is how it is you don't know if that stone's going to crack on the you know third hit or the hundredth hit it's just in the name of of seeing if you can make quote unquote progress towards that goal and if it's worthwhile to pursue. Mm-hmm. So then let's talk about simplicity, complexity, simplicity, or in Taylor Swift world, starting at what I would call pop with a little bit of country, going hard to country, and then coming back to pop with a little bit of country. And this is a pretty common path, I think, that people take. Uh, again, not just in music, but regardless of, of the craft, where you start at X and you do it well, and then you venture away from X, and then you come back to X and you're refined and it's 10 times better, but it's still X. So, Steve, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's essentially the path towards expertise, right? Where... It's we start in an area, <laughs> we know, uh, you know, we know we're competent in it. We almost dive deeper into like one depth of that area before like zooming back out, gaining expertise and understanding, and then being able to apply it to this other area and, you know, um, have it be uh, more profound, we'll call it. I, I, you know, I think as we, as I look across even our own careers in writing, Brad, it's what you see as you saw, like, or what you've seen, hopefully, as we progress here is stress plus rest equals growth, man. Our best work might be behind us. Yeah, that is true. But like, you see almost like breath, this, this, this like battle and tug against breath and depth, you know? Mm, mm hmm. And, you know, I think as I think back to some great advice I had as a young coach and writer, it was that, hey, you're going to go through this process where you start to read and understand and start to work and you're going to be like, oh, I got it. Mm. And then you keep learning, keep growing and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is what in the heck? The world is so much bigger than I thought. I'm like, okay at this, but like, I don't get it. And this, this advisor mentor told me is like, you just, you just keep reading, you just keep understanding. 
And then eventually it's going to click and you're going to get to this point where it clicks and you're going to be like, oh, this is how it all fits together. And I think that that's kind of what you see in this, you know, this process that Taylor Swift kind of, I, you know, went through here is that it's like you, you see hints of this work that she's, you know, doing or putting out now in her early albums, right? But as you said, it's more like a refined, nuanced, you know, um, look than it was back there in the in the sense that her early albums were as you would expect from a teenager, which which they were great, but they were simplistic in the sense that that's the world that like mattered to the teen. That's how the lens they saw they went, you know, they see the world through. And then you go through, I would, I would say this deep dive in country where it's, um, in this, this kind of deeper under or this deeper understanding of like the specific genre. But then you come back out to this pop area where it's like, it's complex and simple at the same time, if that makes any sense. It, yeah, it does a hundred percent because it's, you know, her, her foray into country didn't leave her with like, I was in the back of the pickup truck with the beer on the porch and two divorces and a dog barking <laughs> in the back, which is a lot of country. Um, <laughs> I should never sing on this podcast again. I think that that's a really astute description of, of how that process works. I think it's also interesting, and it's something that um, is often on my mind. You can't really engineer a peak, but I do think in lots of pursuits, you peak when... There, oh man, I'm going to try to talk through a visual. So imagine two curves, right? And on one curve, you've got what I'm going to call raw talent or quickness or cleverness or cognitive flexibility or in sport athleticism. And that line tends to slope down. It probably peaks in athletic pursuits as early as 16 to 20. In cognitive pursuits, we know that at around 25, your brain is as sharp as it's ever going to be. And then you start declining. And then you've got this other curve going the opposite direction that is wisdom and experience. And I think that when these two curves cross, that's when you peak. So for an athlete, that might be as early as age 30, because there's a really steep decline in the the natural talent curve. In um, more intellectual pursuits for a researcher or a physician, that might be between 40 and 50. And for a poet, which really relies on wisdom more than anything, that peak might not be till 70. So it's just, I I really like that model. Maybe I just like it because it allows me to tell myself that I have like 15 years to do my best work because for writing, somehow I've put it between 45 and 50. But I think it can be a useful model to consider um, how to peak in like these two curves of experience wisdom against natural talent and how as we age, one goes up and the other goes down. I would add one more component in there that I think is important. And that's where that ability or those capabilities you talked about, those two sides, that talent and wisdom, when they match up with the environment, what the environment allows at yes. that point. Ooh, that's good. Because I think, you know, again, I'm going to go back to this pandemic thing. And that allowed Taylor Swift to write two albums in a couple months. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't occurred except for this, you know, freak pandemic that, that happened here. Now, will that represent a peak or not? Who knows? But I think that, you know, that plays a large role 
And I think the same if we were looking at at um, you know our our own writing or for you know is the environment around us or the ability to do the work you know has to overlap with you know your your talent slash wisdom no different than in in sport right a lot of athletes peak relatively young we'll say in high school or college for a lot of athletes but that night might not be their actual peak they just didn't have the environment that supported and allowed them to reach that high level because when do we have the energy focus etc to reach our athletic peak in a lot of areas and that's in high school and college when we don't have to worry about all these other things when life gets more complex, when you have to go from college athlete to post-collegiate athlete, especially if you're not at that professional level. Yeah, really, really, really um, true across the board. All right, man. Well, I don't have much else. I think a, a good quick summary is in order. So we talked about Taylor Swift. And we use that as an inroad to talk about breakthrough and um, breakout performances and streaks. And we really touched on three big things, which is the importance of patience. And what looks like a breakthrough is very rarely a breakthrough. It often rests on a lot of other work. We talked about these periods of flow and getting into them, more importantly, staying in them, and also the dangers when they end and the pitfalls of coming out of them. And then we talked about mastery and this journey from simplicity to complexity back to simplicity or from thinking you know but not really knowing to knowing you don't know to actually knowing. So with that, I got permission from my wife who is an attorney and says no to everything, but she said yes to this. So we are going to leave you all with some Taylor Swift. Well, Steve, I just want to give you a big hug right now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we are goofy, but uh, Taylor Swift, her albums are great, Evermore, and what was the first one called? Folklore. So, check them out. And um, until next week, happy listening to Taylor Swift. Probably didn't think we'd go here, but here we are. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation Podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.